You can open your Bibles to Luke 23. That's always my favorite part of the sermon, honestly. I'm enjoying this. Luke 23 is where we're going to be at today. This is our second sermon in the series called The Death of Death. And the series will conclude next week on Easter, looking at Acts chapter 1. But today we're in Luke 23 and talking about the death of Jesus. So Luke 23, uh, starting in verse 32 through 46. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. That's Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, this chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, or he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to be thinking about the cross and the death of Christ in relation to three biblical themes today. Pardon me. The first theme is the Garden of Eden, the second is the temple, and the third is new creation. And and I'm, I'm approaching it this way because of this little word in verse 43. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In the literature of Jesus' time, second temple Judaism as we call it, that word in Greek, paradiso, was used specifically to refer to the Garden of Eden where the tree of life is. And it's used only two other times in the New Testament itself, once by Paul, and Paul's referring to, you remember when he says, you know, I know a guy who went up to heaven, to paradise. So Paul uses paradise to talk about heaven, where God dwells. And John in Revelation talks about, uh, uses the word paradise to talk about new creation, where the tree of life is. So I I wrote down um, that the point of this sermon today is to see that our sin closed off the way to paradise, but Jesus opened the way again by his death. That's not the point of the sermon. Um, The point of the sermon is for us, my goal in this is for us to hate our sin more and love our Savior more. 
That's, that's why we're, we're getting at this. That's what the themes are all about. So bear with me as we work through these themes, Eden, temple, new creation, and then I promise we'll dig back into this text in Luke. So first, let's talk about Eden. When God created the world, as our kids said, he made this special place for his people called Eden. And that word literally means pleasure or delight. That encapsulates what this place was about. Like Schuyler said, there's peace because you're with God. Everything is okay. And in the heart of Eden, he created an even specialer place, the Garden in Eden. So we, we often just refer to it all as Garden of Eden. There was a garden in Eden. So Eden was this bigger place, and the garden was the small thing in the heart of it. And that place was thick with the presence of God. He walked with his people in the garden. It was as if the Garden of Eden had a sign at the gate that said, God with us. It was the special place where God and his people could be together in joy and peace. But as Lucy pointed out, it did not last long. Our first parents had access to the tree of life, the tree that God put there to say, look, you eat from this, you keep on living and living and living. They could live with God forever. That's what they were put there for, but they chose to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit from the other tree. And because of that, death entered the world and death entered our hearts. Genesis 3.22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And he kicked them out. Did you, did you catch the word lest? lest he reach out his hand. So why were they kicked out? It's so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life. That's why the way to the garden was shut. We can't eat from the tree because we're full of sin and death. So by implication, if we're ever going to get back in and eat from the tree, we must be full of righteousness and have no sin and death in us. Now imagine a world, a little thought experiment. Imagine a world for a moment if you can, where death entered our hearts, but not our bodies. We just go on and on and on living, getting worse and worse and worse. C.S. Lewis um, used the phrase immortal horrors. I mean, if we think the world is full of sin and suffering and oppression now, Imagine if we had millennia to marinate in our muck and get worse. The atrocities the earth would bear under that weight. The things we would do. The way had to be shut. It was a mercy. We welcomed sin and death. We said, come on in. We opened the door. And we said, no thank you to God. So we had to be removed from his presence in essence, God was just giving us what we asked for. We said no. And he said okay. But life without God. How could we settle for that? Since that day, we have been yearning to go back, all of us, without exception. 
every human government and worldly Tower of Babel-like institution that we have created over the last several thousand years, they're just our sad attempts to get back to the garden. Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in the heart of man. That's ingrained in us. Now that leads us to the second theme, which is the temple. In the Old Testament, it's, it's like God said, all right, you're full of sin, but I want to be with you because I love you. So you're going to make me a tabernacle, a tent. And eventually, you're going to make, instead of a tent, you're going to make a, a temple. And that temple will be a special place, a place that reminds you of Eden, It'll be full of carved pomegranates and almond blossoms and tree and fruit imagery. It will be beautiful. It'll be covered in gold and have precious stones, just like in Eden. So the temple was this big space. And in the heart of the temple, God created an even specialer place called the Holy of Holies. And that place was thick with his presence. It was as if the Holy of Holies had a sign at the curtain that said, God with us. It was the special place where God's presence could be with his people. But the way to that special place was by the death of an innocent animal. Blood had to be shed for us to get in and be with God now. God was teaching us through the temple, through all the Old Testament sacrificial systems, that the way back into his presence is something innocent dying on our behalf. That leads us to the third theme, new creation. I just want to read to you from Revelation for a minute. If you want to read along, it's Revelation 21, 22, and and I don't know where I'm going to stop. So (laughs) starting in Revelation 21, 22. This is the vision given to the Apostle John from Jesus. John writes, And I saw no temple... In the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Is monthly fruit okay with you, William? Different fruit each month instead of each day? (laughs) And 12 different kinds, too? 12 kinds. That's our future in Christ. That's not make-believe. That's not a fairy tale. If you're in Christ, your future is a new creation temple garden. Do you see how the Garden of Eden theme and the temple theme are woven together here? There will be no temple because God will be the temple. Because the temple was always about us with God. 
God with us. And there's, you know, it, Eden was like a mountain, and it, had a, it, was the, it was the headwaters of a river that flowed out, that separated into four rivers. And they were filled with gold and all sorts of beautiful things. And here, there's a river flowing out of this new creation city, and the tree of life is there. Just like the garden. And that's where we're going. It started in the garden, and it ends in the garden. Pleasure and delight with God forever. It's as if the new creation had a sign at the gate that said, God with us. But we learned something important from the temple theme, didn't we? We can't get into this place and be with God because of the sin and death that clings to us. That's what keeps us out. So if we're going to get to this place, if we're going to enjoy God in his presence forever, something innocent has to die in our place. The Bible has gone through great lengths to ingrain that in us, for us to learn that truth. In the Old Testament, animal after animal after animal after animal was sacrificed, and it wasn't enough blood to cover the sins of the people. The priests were constantly standing at their work, standing, making sacrifice after sacrifice because the people kept on sinning. And it was never enough. Endless work, centuries of standing at the altar. But the author of Hebrews says that after Jesus made purification for sins, he what? He sat down. That was enough. Finally, blood was spilled and no more needs to be shed. He made his sacrifice and sat down because it was enough to open up the way back to God. Okay, that was the introduction to the sermon. <laughs> Did someone say, uh-oh? <laughs> Two points. One, the way is opened, and two, the way is faith. All right, point one. Let me read again from Luke 23, verses 39 and on. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, let me ask a question. I suppose it's rhetorical. I'm going to answer it. How can Jesus make such a statement to a condemned thief? If the way, <clears throat> excuse me, if the way is shut because of sin and death, if our guilt, <coughs> pardon me, if our guilt keeps us out, how can he say to a, a, a criminal sitting there uh, on a cross who by his own lips confessed that he deserved to be there, how can he say to him, you can come with me to paradise? In Exodus 34, God says very clearly to Moses, remember Moses says, show, show me your glory. God hides him in the cleft of the rock, passes by, and declares all of his goodness. And part of what God reveals to Moses about himself is this. He says, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, but I will by no means clear 
the guilty. <laughs> Which is it, God? Are you going to forgive or will you by no means forgive? How can Jesus offer the thief paradise if God said, I will not clear the guilty? How can Jesus offer it to me and to you? Because we're guilty. Exodus 34 gives us a paradox. A God who forgives but won't clear the guilty. In other words, God always wanted, God always intended, God always determined to make a way to destroy the death in us without destroying us. Yeah. Romans 3, Paul says that Jesus was put forward as a propitiation for our sins. There's your $10 word. Propitiation points us to the blood that was poured on the, on the, uh, on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in the temple behind the curtain. Jesus was that. He says in, in Romans 3.26, it was so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The paradox from Exodus is how will God remain just if he's going to justify the guilty? Paul says the answer is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, right? He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when God saved us, he didn't clear the guilty. He made the guilty righteous. And he made the righteous one sin and condemned it. God destroyed the death in us without destroying us by the blood of Jesus. Theologian um, from Scotland, Donald MacLeod, said, the human imagination is not ready to fathom what it is like to be the sin of the world in the presence of God. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin. That's what's happening here. The tension of God's justice and God's mercy finds its resolution in the love of Christ on the cross. Jesus took our guilt on himself as the Lamb of God, and he paid the price. It occurred to me this week, I've often said Jesus died for you, and that's true. But in maybe a truer sense, Jesus died as you. And we receive that gift by faith. That's it, faith, faith in Jesus. So point two, the way is faith. The thief, the second thief, right? You got thief one and thief two, like thing one and thing two from the cat in the hat last week. You got thief one and thief two. And anyway, I'll stop the joke there. Um, thief two looked at Jesus and he had faith. He believed him. He believed he was who he said he was. So Jesus was made to be that thief's sin. And that thief was made to be the righteousness of God. <laughs> so Jesus received the 
penalty of the sin of the thief, and the thief received the reward of the righteousness of the Son of God who just died for him. The reason I'm able to preach this sermon to you today, my qualifications for standing here, they're not ordination, it's not seminary degrees and systematic theology or Greek, or I'm not a good Greek scholar, none of that stuff. I'm standing here today, my qualification is because my king took my sin into three hours of eternal darkness the sin of the world in the presence of God and gave me his righteousness. <laughs> this is not abstract theology. This is everything. So, the way back to paradise is open. And the way is faith faith in Jesus. Let's think about these two thieves again for a minute. They're both hanging on, you know, there's one on either side of Jesus. They're in the same circumstance as each other, right? They've, they've both committed the same crime. They've both received the same sentence. They both have the same information. They're both looking at the same Jesus with the same sign over his head that says, the king of the Jews. And the first thing, the, the first thief basically says, um, I'm cool with you being the Christ. But if you are, fix my life, dude. Save yourself, save us, get us off this cross, get us out of here. Jesus, I want you to fix my life. The second thief says, I believe you. I deserve this. You don't deserve this. Jesus, I want you. Those are our two options this morning. We can hear the word of God and we can see Christ on the cross dying as you and for you. And you can say either, I want you to fix my life or I want you. Do you want Jesus? Do you see him? Does your heart thrill at the beauty of the cross? You know, to the first thief, the fix my life thief, what did Jesus say to him? Nothing. The most deafening silence in the world. The second thief, the remember me when you come into your kingdom thief. Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't ask the second thief for moral reform. He didn't ask him to subscribe to the Westminster Standards or vote Republican or read TGC or turn his life around or implement daily quiet times or memorize scripture. He just wanted faith. That's all we need. Maybe you have faith already, but maybe you feel like I feel sometimes that your faith is small, that your faith is feeble or fragile. If the object of your faith is Jesus, even a feeble faith is enough. Your faith does not save you. The object of your faith saves you. We've talked about faith like leaning on a wall with all your weight. 
you know? What keeps you from falling over? If you're leaning on a wall, is it, do you stay up because you really believe the wall's there? Yeah. <laughs> or do you stay up because the wall's there and it holds you up? So do you want paradise? Do you want to be with God in peace? Do you want to live, really live? Just look to the man on the cross. Me too. With faith. And he's looking at you and saying, let's go to Eden together. I, I like to imagine, I don't know if this is accurate historically, but I like to imagine that Jesus uh, walked into paradise and the first person to set foot in there with him was this thief. Isn't that cool, man? If your heart is stirring this morning, it's, I guarantee it, it's not the preaching, it's not the music, it's not the ambiance, it's the Spirit of God doing what he does and giving you faith, bringing you to Jesus, making Jesus big in your hearts. It's the Spirit of God helping you say, Jesus, I don't want you to fix my life. I just want you. That's enough. You know, the emphasis of uh, how I kind of prepared the sermon was with the word paradise, right? But the emphasis of the text is actually on the words that come right before it, with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. Us with God, God with us. Let's think back to the Garden of Eden for a minute in conclusion. You remember the cherubim? That wasn't just a weird fact, it was important. Those cherubim, um, they, were, they were there to keep rebels out of the kingdom. And Jesus walks up to that gate with the cherubim, with the flaming swords that turned this way and that. He says, I'm not a rebel. I'm the king. Open up. He gets in. The cherubim were there to keep out everyone who had the smell of death on them. And Jesus comes dragging death's carcass behind him. He says, I won. Death is dying. Let me in. The cherubim are guarding entry to the garden to keep the enemies of God from the tree of life. Remember, lest they reach out their hand and take from the tree of life and live forever. Listen to what the risen Jesus says in Revelation 2.7. He's writing to the church in Ephesus here. He says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Life himself, capital L, life, defeated death. He conquered by dying on a tree. Who's the one who conquers? It's Jesus. But if you look with faith, you are united to him so that you are in Christ, which is why Paul can say, we are more than conquerors. We just, we conquer by looking at Jesus with faith, like thief number two. That's it. And he will grant you to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. 
Back to Luke 23 for a moment, verses 44 to 45. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now in the heart of the temple was the Holy of Holies, that specialer place thick with the presence of God that only the high priest could enter. And guarding the way to that inner sanctuary was a curtain. Do you know, real question, do you know what was on that curtain? Cherubim. Yeah. The curtain with the cherubim that guarded the way back to God was ripped in two. The death of death in the death of Christ opened the way back to life with God. It's what Eden always pointed forward to. It's what the temple always pointed forward to. It's what all the sacrifices in the Old Testament always pointed forward to. Band, you can come up. I'm wrapping up. Um, Ultimately, I'm not here to tell you that you can have a better life. I'm here to tell you that because of Jesus' death on the cross for you and as you, you can have God. So look to the tree where Jesus was slain. We did that to him. And look to the tree where Jesus was slain. He did that for us.